We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. What the hell's going on with CJ and KD? He came on the pod. So we had a lot of banter back and forth of doing things that friends do, making fun of each other, talking about each other. And the internet took it and ran with it. And it was pretty entertaining, honestly, to just see the amount of chaos that we caused. Kawhi Leonard's finally no longer a spur, which is something I said during the season and people laughed at me. He ended up being traded to the Raptors in a very controversial situation. Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, Michael Bennett. Man, what's up, guys? So I'm going to ask you a question. What's up with you and KD, man? <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> Ni hao, everyone. Welcome to episode number 17 of Pull Up. CJ McCollum here, as always. Jordan Schultz will be joining us momentarily. We have a special guest who will be coming on as well later on today who's just wrapping up another day of training camp. But first, let's talk about some of the things I've been doing while I've been away. I was in China for about 13 days, had a great time with the brand, uh, traveling around, exploring, representing Leaning, and finding out that I have a lot of fans. There's a lot of fans out in China all throughout who celebrate the game, love the game, are very aware of what's going on here, and uh, are fans of the Trailblazers. There's also some Warrior jerseys out there. There are some Kevin Durant fans, some Steph Curry fans, some fans of a lot of popular players in the States, but the love I received was overwhelming, and I'm thankful for it for sure. We did about seven cities in 13 days. We were in Hohut, Lanzhou, Chengdu, Luzhou, Xi'an, uh, Shanghai, Beijing, among other cities, and it was a great time. I had some great photos, went to the Great Wall, had a great yacht ride throughout the city of Shanghai, able to check out some of the scenery and some of the high arcing buildings. I also tasted some great wine that I will recommend to you guys later on. And uh, really enjoyed working out with Todd, AJ, spent some great time with him. Shout out to those guys for taking care of me while we were out there and allowing me to continue to get better while working on my game. And without further ado, my co-host, Jordan Schultz, was traveling the world and missed some of the interviews, but was nice enough to send in some questions to make my job easier with one of the guests we had while he was gone. And he looked like he got, he got tan. So, Jordan, did you get a tan? <laughs> I got a little bit of a tan, CJ, but uh, the real question is, did anything happen while I was away? Nothing really happened, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, let me just preface this by saying... We get KD. Obviously, we were both excited to have him. Uh, the one time I couldn't do, and I'm pretty sure you just didn't want me on, so you, you made sure that you know <laughs> that was the time. But regardless, I wake up at like 5 a.m. I was in Italy, and I have a barrage of text messages, and they're all saying, what the hell's going on with CJ and KD? So I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't even know. I, I start to freak out <laughs> thinking something really bad happened. I check online, I see all the blogs, then I text you, then I text uh, Rich Kleiman, Kevin Durant's guy, and I'm just, I'm totally uh, in the dark here. So why don't you fill us in on kind of what went down and then what was the aftermath of it? Because for me, 6,000 miles away or whatever, it was quite entertaining. Yeah, we had a little bit of fun, honestly. He came on the pod, and we we chopped it up, talked about a lot of different things. Uh, He made some jokes about, you know, our, our roster and, basically saying that we weren't going to win a championship. I made some jokes to him on air. I made some jokes off air. What people don't understand is that we literally were talking for like three hours, but we only recorded two right. hours of it. Right. So we had a lot of banter back and forth of you know, doing things that friends do, making fun of each other, talking about each other, me telling him he needs to leave and saying a bunch of things to him and him kind of going back at me and laughing and you know, saying, saying different things about my game and where I can improve and 
stuff about my situation and I just thought it was all fun and games and he thought it was all fun and games too then some some comments happened on Twitter and I responded in a joke and made a metaphor slash analogy that some people love some people hated some people were indifferent about it Katie responded and it ended it with snakes in the grass which was brilliant and the internet took it and ran with it and it was yeah. uh pretty entertaining honestly to just see the the amount of chaos that we caused and more so him because of his brand and following obviously uh he has a huge following people react differently to things he says based on what i say and we were able to to really create a stir which was which was pretty funny and interesting and entertaining and people understand that katie and our friends will be friends forever and friends make fun of each other all the time and make jokes but if you're not in that circle if you're not you know us i guess you truly don't understand it but if you're around us enough to to know that you know i got nothing but love for him wish him nothing but the best and make fun of his decision to go to the warriors all the time to his face and uh i support i support him as an individual because you have a freedom of of choice and you're able to do whatever you want to do in this life and uh, within reason and within the law and i just thought it was funny that people thought we were beefing like we're going to go fight when we see each other and he kind of he kind of deaded everything during usab by telling them that we're going to have wine together in new york and i think he'll be in the city at some point so we'll have dinner take a picture and people will realize that we were just having fun and that's what that's what people do who are friends they have fun well that's the the blessing and the curse of our current climate, um, especially as an athlete or as a journalist, like social media has so much power and it can be good and it can be bad. And that's a perfect example of something that gets taken way out of context. Like I, I never really thought there was an issue, but I can totally see how someone would. And the fact that I had to like, literally ask you, like, is, is everything totally kosher just tells you because <laughs> it, I mean, it, like you said, you created a story, like a firestorm out of a podcast, and that's the like it's good and it's bad. I don't really know where I where I like what I think it is. I just know it's both good and bad. Yeah, the internet is a very very powerful tool, and with the social media and the way it works today, messages travel so fast. And unless you're actually sitting in front of someone's face, you can't tell if they're serious or not. You're not sure what the emotion is behind certain things. And a lot of things get misconstrued and twisted. And uh, it's also the dead time. It's the dead period in the NBA. There's not a lot going on. Free agency's been quiet. Obviously, the Melo situation, a quiet situation happened with DeMar DeRozan and all that stuff. But there's not really a lot to talk about. So we kind of gave them something to discuss. And right. It's right. funny because I, I texted him. I was like, yo, before I respond, I got to text you. And we talked and <laughs> laughed about it. And, and then so wait, uh, hold I on. went back Did, on there and responded. How, how many <laughs> other athletes or people in general reached out to you? Because I, I know how many people, including you know other NBA players, even NFL players, reaching out like, what's going on with CJ and KD? I can imagine for you it was 10 times more. <laughs> yeah, people that know me thought it was hilarious and they were like yo everything's straight and I was like yeah we good that's the homie like we're just having fun yeah 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 and it was like oh I thought so I didn't think I didn't think nothing of it really and then some people were in my dms like you're an idiot blah 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 like you'll never be a great one and then (laughs) some people were like Katie sucks he's soft blah 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 so they people were going in on me some people were going in on him some people were on the fence and then just kind of watching the discussions online and people talking about how oh, CJ has Twitter fingers, he has thumb fingers. I'm like, look, they don't know me at all. Whatever I've said on Twitter, I say to people's face all the time. And Katie knows it. I've always said what I think. And he's always said he, he thinks to me. So we have that type of relationship to where we don't really worry about what everybody else is saying. Man. We were just having some fun. And uh, the funniest thing, I will say this, the funniest thing that I heard while I was in China was that uh, a fan came up to me who I didn't know. And he was like... Katie must be really angry at you. I said, what do you mean? He was like, he used his real account. <laughs> oh, not Werner. Okay. That is good. That I is good. That was funny. I was like, oh, my goodness. People are so crazy. But for the most but part, that's, people were that's just asking China. everything was all right. P- people in China knew about this. That, I mean, it's unbelievable. People, it was all over. People in China nice... were asking me, is everything okay? I was in the middle of a lift when it happened. And one of my reps was like, yo, is everything okay with you and KD? I'm like, yeah, we good. He was like, oh, okay, we're just making sure. I thought you guys were friends. I was like, yeah, that's the homie. I mean, yeah, because, like, I'm in Italy, so it, it, it traveled around the whole the whole world. When I was talking to, to Kleiman, he's like, KD and, and CJ are boys. Like, you know, it, it's totally taken out of context. But, you know, we got shout-outs from, from Deezus and Miro part of my take first take it was it was everywhere uh, first things first you know and, and i just i gotta tell you cj it was 
it was quite entertaining and uh as uh as your co-host and more importantly as your friend i i enjoyed it for what it's worth i'm glad you enjoyed it man and before we move on i must say that i look forward to uh the sequel i look forward to the the trilogy of the sit down with Katie, obviously, uh, Rich will be involved as well. And we'll have a lot to catch up on, including rumors about a Draymond, Trishan Thompson uh, squabble and Delilah. But <laughs> we can get to that stuff a little bit later. Yeah, we got time. We have to touch on some things that happened while we were away. First, Kawhi Leonard's finally no longer a spur, which is something I said during the season and people laughed at me. I thought he was going to go to L.A. along with Paul George, but... Needless to say, he ended up uh, being traded to the Raptors in a very controversial situation where DeMar was not told about the trade until it ended up happening. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And did you know about this potential trade before the rumors began swirling? So, I, yeah, first of all, I think the, the right thing to do with any trade, especially a player of that magnitude, is, is to let him know beforehand. Uh, I think, you know, given what he's provided for that franchise in that city, he's earned the right to be told. Now, I know being traded is not easy, and it uproots your family and your, and your lifestyle and everything. He obviously has three more years left on his deal, but they should have told him. You know, I, I think that's the right thing to do. And, um, you know, in terms of that trade going down, I, I had been told uh, that they were talking, that Toronto was really interested in Kawhi. I just didn't think they were going to be able to get him because I knew uh, it was very unlikely they were going to trade OG Ananobi. Uh, and also, I didn't think San Antonio uh, was ready necessarily to pull the trigger. I thought they might be a little more patient. So I think what happened was once the Lakers were kind of out in Philadelphia, San Antonio said this, you know, we won 47 last year, essentially without Kawhi, he played nine games. Now we get DeMar, you know, we, we, we can win 50 plus and compete for a four or five seed and and that's the best we can do so um you know i thought both teams actually probably benefit from it yeah i thought it was interesting i woke up and, and seeing the trade had gone through in china and first i thought like wow the, the san antonio spurs got a very very good player you know for Kawhi Leonard, a guy who's able to take over a game can alter the, the trajectory of a franchise in the prime of his career and then i thought wow toronto really got a good player who's going to be able to compliment kyle lowry so i felt like you know both teams got a solid player. Obviously, Kawhi wasn't happy with his situation, and DeMar's not happy leaving, but I'm sure he's, he'll be happy to play with Pop in that system. A guy who's able to extend careers and has historically uh, been good to, to wing players as well as big men in terms of development, in terms of making sure that their minutes are up and down and aren't consistently kind of wearing out their bodies. And then the Toronto Raptors get a closer and a guy who can play both sides of the ball. And regardless of how he recovers from this injury, if he's a shell, if he's a shell of himself or even close to who he was before that, then they're getting a great player. Yeah, and also um, what's interesting to me is the unprotected pick back to, uh, to San Antonio and the fact that Danny Green goes to Toronto. And, you know, he's a rotational guy, so... You know, I think both teams did well. I, the, the biggest question mark is, is it safe to assume, see, that, that Kawhi is going to be the same player? Because before the injury, you know, he was arguably, you know, the second, third best player in the world. And, and now, are we, are we, is it fair to assume he's going to be the same guy? Because if he's not, obviously that's a big issue. And then taking a step further, Toronto is trying to do at least what Oklahoma City did with PG, which is make the trade without talking to the player or the representatives more specifically and bet on their culture and recruiting him every day. So there's a, there's a lot more question marks for the, for the Raptors, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I thought what the Raptors did was interesting. And they fired the coach of the year, hired an assistant, and then traded their best player. So right. it was a bit of an interesting movement. You know, usually you think that when you fire the head coach or staff, Usually you clear house, you bring in new staff, you, you kind of start from scratch. And they kind of went in-house and, and hired uh, an assistant coach and promoted him. But then you, you take away your star player and you kind of uh, think you anger the franchise a little bit, anger some of the, fr the fans based on the history of DeMar DeRozan, him being there for so long, signing an extension in the offseason when he could have left and then you trade him. But I think in this, in this particular instance, you get Kawhi Leonard who – I'm not sure how he'll recover from the injury this season, but I think it's obvious he can get back to who he was. If it's not this year, maybe it takes two seasons, or maybe it takes to all-star break for him to get comfortable with running and cutting and jumping and moving again on that uh, 
those legs with the injury that he suffered. But overall, I think that if you want change, I think it was a good decision if you want change. But I think how they went about doing it could have been a little bit better. Obviously, it's a business and you don't owe anybody anything, both sides. Players don't owe the organization anything and the organization doesn't owe players anything. It's a business and you have to do what's best for yourself as an individual. But I think that yeah. maybe maybe telling him, giving him a heads up is isn't too much to ask for. But at the end of the day, there's nothing in your contract that says, hey, we have to give you a heads up if you're traded. There's nothing that says, hey, I have to give them a heads up if I want traded. There's there's no type of stipulation in there. So you can't fault the organization because we, we've seen time and time again, the organization is always going to do what's best for them. Yeah. Whether that's trading you behind, trading you without telling you, sending you to a city you don't want to go to, cutting you on Christmas, waving you before the deadline, and and kind of messing up your chances of signing with another team in the playoffs. Teams have done that before. Have we seen with with Caspi, who was waived so late in the season that he couldn't even sign with the playoff team? Stuff like that happens all the time. But when a player leaves, in KD's instance and some other players' instances, uh, they're they're more they're more under scrutiny they're ridiculed it's their fault they're bad people they burn jerseys and kind of blame them but i think i think that people need to understand that it's just a business yeah it is it is it's a it's a great business and it's a brutal one at the same time and i think that's probably the biggest adjustment for guys coming into the league even marquee blue chip guys that think they're untouchable there's really nobody that's untouchable with the right price and it's it is an absolute business i think you've seen examples when guys haven't been told you know Blake Griffin with the Clippers obviously with DeMar now I can tell you in talking to Toronto their their thought process is let's try to win it this year do our you know get everything we have this year and then you know worry about everything after but it is going to be a daily recruiting pitch for for Kawhi there's no question about it uh and then on another level shifting shifting to the west I you know Carmelo obviously headed to the Rockets uh, which is basically a formality at this point. I wonder for you, what does that do for the Rockets? Because they were, you know, essentially a Chris Paul hamstring injury away from the finals. I think the Rockets improve. I think losing Trevor Ariza hurts. Uh, losing Mbamute hurts them from a def- defensive standpoint. But they need shot making. They need shot creating. Outside of James and CP, there's not a lot of guys out there who can create shots for themselves. Obviously, Clint Capella re-signed with the franchise, and uh, he, he changes the game defensively. He can guard one through five as a rim protector and can catch lobs. But from an offensive standpoint, generating offense is hard for them. They didn't have a lot of catch-and-shoot guys who were knockdown shooters. Obviously, Eric Gordon can create. Ryan Anderson can shoot the ball very well. But from a matchup standpoint and from a – Offensive production standpoint, the Houston Rockets have a lot of spacing, a lot of pick and rolls, and they shoot a lot of threes. I think implementing Melo in there is going to allow them to to get the best version of himself. I don't think the Oklahoma City Thunder situation was ideal for him. He wasn't used to being a catch and shoot player. His touches, you know, kind of fluctuated, and I think that. Uh, based on some of the things he was going through, I think it was a tough transition for him. I think going to Houston, being more comfortable, being around guys he's friends with, the banana boat crew, so to speak, and seeing what's at stake here for the Houston Rockets team. They were a 65-plus win team, a game away from going to the finals, so they know what's at stake. And I think, you know, having seen Melo earlier today, he looked happy. He looked like he's in good shape. He's moving around. He looked energized and kind of ready to prove some of the doubters wrong. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits in, you know, how much he plays with the second unit, how many shots he gets with the first unit versus the second unit, and uh, just interested in seeing how, how much he utilizes their mid-range game because you remember Dan Tony is a three and key guy. He doesn't really like guys shooting mid-range. Obviously, there's exceptions for CP, exceptions for James, and I'm sure they'll make some exceptions for Melo to play isolation around the pinch post logo area, but I'm not sure what will happen with them, but I think he'll be a good four-man for, the, for them. Yeah, I, you know, with Carmelo, he made 169 threes last year. It was a career high, shot about 37%. You know, I, I think he'll get better looks in the Houston offense from, you know, playing off of Paul and Harden than he than he did from, from Westbrook and PG perhaps. But, you know, they're going to need him to be a microwave guy. And part of that will be, to your point, see, about coming off the bench and how comfortable is he, you know, in that role. He, he said he wants to start. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think he can give them 25 minutes a night. But... Um, you know, defensively, he's not Trevor Risa. He's not in Bob Mute. So, like you said, with the mid-range, how much will he be deployed there? And then, obviously, you know, you go back to the history 
of him and Mike D'Antoni. When he went to the Knicks, he wasn't ready to play that style of basketball. He was still, you know, the the old Carmelo, and, and they obviously butted heads. But uh, now cooler heads prevail. Him and D'Antoni have moved on. I think he is ready, and I think if he accepts the role, then it'll behoove him and extend his career. But he has to accept that role. Yeah, I agree with you. I think him accepting a role or a reduction in minutes, touches, etc., will be good for his future. But I, I stand on record. I think the best situation for him would have been going to Miami. I think Pat Riley would have got him in the best shape of his career, yeah. even more of a focal point on offense. And I think he would have had a chance to really show what he can do for the future. But in terms of winning a championship, this is the best opportunity for him to to potentially try to get to a championship, to, to be a contender in the Western Conference again for the first time since, I think the first time since his Denver days when he was with AI and they went to the uh, Conference, Conference Finals, Finals once. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. that's right. I mean, Miami wanted him. Uh, he wanted he want to be a Rocket, and you know he's going to have to really accept that role to our point. But also, I think with Chris Paul, you know, him advocating for him, him talking to him, I wonder if this is the first time in his career will he'll will Carmelo CJ will, will really listen to another player that he can respect and I wonder if that Team USA mellow comes out here where he's just a spot up guy that makes threes and doesn't necessarily go into the post as much or or the pinch post do you do you, do you see him being that guy where he can take a ton of threes and, and maybe get close to 40 percent as opposed to you know getting in the block or the pinch post yeah, I think they'll have to utilize him in multiple ways. I think a lot of pick and rolls with, with CP will be good, you know, from a matchup standpoint, trying to find the right matchups for him to exploit on the block and mid in mid post area. But if they can get anything close to that USA mellow, obviously the three point line is a lot closer uh, when they're mm. playing a USA B and the ball is a lot different. You're able to get more rotation on it because of the grip factor. But if they can get anything close to that mellow he will be very good because his catch and shoot, his form is pretty. The jump shot looks great every time. And he still has that size and ability to finish around the basket, to post up, to shoot over smaller defenders. So uh, I think that this is going to be a very, very big year for him, a pivotal year for him, in fact, because of the, the age factor. Obviously, he's been in the league a long time. Barra's been in the league a long time. They've all been in that position. So I think it's... It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens. And I'm looking forward to it, not only for, from their team standpoint, but from our team standpoint and the rest of the league to see how we stack up against some of those contenders. And where do you see the West, you know, with that in mind? Like what it's, – it's very difficult. So, you know, the Lakers better. Memphis wants to win. Phoenix has gotten better. Uh, Minnesota's a little bit of a mess. But, um, you know, New Orleans I – mean, there's, there's so many good teams top to bottom – so what, how does that challenge play out for you, and, and, and do you, how much do you enjoy it? Yeah, I think it's going to be a great challenge. I think last year I tweeted that, you know, the Western Conference is like Game of Thrones. Uh, I think that it's like Game of Thrones on steroids now. Obviously, the Lakers got yeah. better. The Rockets got better. Um, San Antonio Spurs is going to pr- propose some different problems for certain teams. I think everyone is getting better. Everyone is getting older, more mature, more experienced, but... It's about cohesiveness as well, you know, having that cohesiveness, having that experience of being playoff tested, uh, being healthy will be a big factor for a lot of teams, you know, uh, winning at the right times in terms of win streaks, protecting home court, all those things will factor in. So I'm just looking forward to the challenge of, of having to bring it every night. I think that's the best part about the NBA. There's no days off, especially in the Western Conference. Even the lower tier teams in the Western Conference are capable of winning on the road, as we've seen in the past. So. Uh, we got to be ready to play. We got to get better, stay healthy, take care of our bodies, and and do whatever is necessary for us to to get to the playoffs and not look like an eight seed uh, in the first round, as KD said we did last year. Oh, there it is. It all comes back to KD. See, it all comes back to KD. <laughs> Shout out to my guy KD, man. Snakes in the grass. Snakes in the grass everywhere, man. One of the things that happened, you know, the last you know, 24, 48 hours is a legendary boss move off the court by uh, one of my favorite people of all time, uh, Ohio legend, NBA legend, first ballet Hall of Famer, arguably the best player to ever play the game, LeBron James. He just completed a school, and it's not a normal school. So for those of you out there that aren't familiar with this, it's been taking up the airwaves now for a little for a little while. Uh, he, he built the I Promise School. It's part of Akron Public Schools now. It opened on Monday with 240 third and fourth graders. 
the plan is for the school to expand year by year going uh, to second and fifth grades next year until grades one through eight by 2022. The, the dope part about this school was that they targeted kids who were a year or two behind in reading and basically are continuing to try to figure out ways to, to promote the youth, to look out for at-risk, underserved youth. And the awesome thing about this school is that they're providing guaranteed tuition to the, uh, to, for students to attend the University of Akron for everyone who graduates. There's free breakfast, lunch, and snacks, free transportation within two miles, free bicycles and helmets. They're providing meals for families. They're providing job placement assistance and GEDs. For the parents of these kids, LeBron's just going above and beyond and trying to do all he can to, to ensure these kids' success. He's literally changing the trajectory of families, of generations, of kids who were heading in a, in a bad path. And I think LeBron hit around the head. Um, he missed about 84, 85 days of school when he was the same age as these kids. So he knows what it's like to, to have an unsteady home, you know, to you know, sleep in at friends' houses and not, not sure where your next meal is going to come from. There's violence out in the streets. Obviously, there's gangs, there's shootings, there's the, the situations that are occurring with po- police brutality to where there's a lot of tension between inner-city kids, people of color, and law enforcement. So just continuing to try to teach the kids the right things at an early age is, is crucial. You know, how to interact with, with authority figures, you know, how to be responsible, how to be mature, how to deal with the, the different types of stressors that you face as a, as a young African-American in the United States of America who, who may be living on assistance, who may be, you know, not able to afford certain things or to provide a certain lifestyle for the kids. I think this is an awesome opportunity for other athletes to learn and grow and figure out ways to help their in- in communities and help impact uh, what's going on around them. But, man, I'm just I'm happy for Bron. I'm happy for the, the state of Ohio and the direction we're heading in. I think he's setting the bar extremely high. So the school that LeBron opened is going to serve 240 third and fourth graders, and they're going to expand to second and fifth grade, which will be close to 500 kids. And it's just a remarkable thing because, you know, this guy, LeBron, the greatest athlete of our generation, arguably, he is doing, he's done everything right, and now he's going to inspire other players, not just basketball players and not just athletes, to do more because education is the one thing that – progresses generations it's so important and our our youth is so underserved from an educational standpoint not just higher education but grammar school middle school high school lebron is going to inspire change and it's a beautiful thing yeah i think what he's doing is awesome ben you hit it right on the head a guy who's been the face of the nba who's been you know coined the chosen one at 16 hasn't made many mistakes off the off the court you know you don't hear any scandals you don't hear him doing some things that he shouldn't do in, within the public eye and being exposed. I think that it's it's awesome. He's been able to stay relatively clean on and off the court. Um, yeah, I would say the biggest criticism that he's gotten is that he's, you know, three and six in the finals and that he had a, you know, public decision on t- national television, which, by the way, raised a million dollars for the Boys and Girls Club to go to Miami. Those are the biggest criticism for this guy. And he's been in the league half his life. Uh, it's crazy just to think that. He's 15 years in, man. It's, it's insane. Literally fine wine. He keeps getting better. It's just it's awesome. Before we get to our next segment, I want to talk to you about our new sponsor, Wolf & Shepherd. Now, I'm really excited about these guys because they make the most comfortable dress shoes I've ever worn. In fact, I've got a pair on right now, and they feel great. So get this. Wolf & Shepard makes Italian leather dress shoes incorporating the latest technology from running shoes. This means lightweight materials, ultra-soft cushioning, and the ability to do and accomplish more. And on top of that, when you're wearing Wolf & Shepard's, you just feel fantastic. Not to mention, you look great too. Now, a lot of shoe brands are going to say their dress shoes are comfortable, but these are for real. Last year, they had a guy run a half marathon in Wolf & Shepard dress shoes, a race he not only won, set a new world record in. Yes, he entered and won a race wearing dress shoes. I'm not kidding here. These shoes aren't messing around, and neither will you once you get them on. Plus, they're making them with a high-end, soft Italian leathers for an incredibly stylish look. For me, I love Wolf & Shepard because their shoes are designed with athletes in mind. I expect a lot from my shoes, and that mentality doesn't end when I'm off the court. Whether I'm at an event at a post-game press conference, or even doing this podcast. I need to be feeling good and looking good in order to excel. Anyway, 
you got to check out their site and try a pair for yourself. And for my listeners, we're offering 10% off their first purchase when you go to wolfandshepherd.com and use the promo code PULLUP, one word, so you can see what I've already discovered. Wolfandshepherd.com, one word, PULLUP is the promo code. That's W-O-L-F-A-N-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D.com. Use the promo code PULLUP, one word. We want to welcome a special guest, Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, uh, played at Texas A&M, spent some time uh, close to me in the Pacific Northwest in, in Seattle, and now he's back on the East Coast playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Michael Bennett. Man, what's up, guys? Thank you guys for having me on. Oh, it's our it's our pleasure. Appreciate you coming on, Mike. I know LeBron was busy, so you guys asked me to be on here, so that's fine. CJ, how come you couldn't get LeBron, man? Uh, <laughs> hey, LeBron, LeBron is opening up schools right now. You know, he's he's doing a lot of a lot of different things to where. You know, I figured I figured I'd, ha- I'd wait to ask him in person instead of shooting that text text message right now because I know his phone is probably doing serious num- serious numbers. Like I love Michael Jordan, like as a player, but I, I think I like love LeBron James more as a human being. Like he's so connected to the inner cities and where he came from, and he's willing to like put it on the line. He's talking about the well being of a, a, you know people who don't have a voice. You know. Yeah, I think he's doing a, a tremendous job of, of speaking out, using the platform the right way. And what's what's so special about him is how educated he is. For for a guy who didn't go to college, he's polished. He knows how to speak to the media. He knows how to carry himself. And in terms of his connectivity, I'm from Ohio. I, I know the type of impact he's having on those kids. Started when he had the AAU teams. He's giving money back to St. V, charter schools. He's putting kids through through college he's paying for for parents to get GEDs he's been doing this stuff for years and it's it's really impressive I'm really impressed yeah it really is but let's get into some some questions now uh I think it's only right that we start with your book uh, I think a lot of people may not be aware of the fact that you you wrote a book you came out with it it's it's already done now and first of all I'm going to buy the book because I have to read this now. The title is Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. So talk to me about how you how you went about finding this title. And then just based on some of the research I've done, I know it talks about racism, talks about some injustices and in, 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 uh, balances in the NFL. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the book, promote the book, and uh, kind of explain how you came up with the title. Man, you know what's so crazy is that when I grew up, I never thought I'd be a New York Times bestseller. You know, so it's like it's weird now that people say that before I like I do something. I'm like, oh yeah, they did do that. You know, the add-on to like because you put so much work in on something and then you're not sure how it will be received, but you know it's your truth and what you believe in. And for me, this book is just about being uncomfortable, like to a place because the true question is why are we so comfortable with things that are happening within our society? It takes a time for us to become uncomfortable so we can have that growth. And so that's what the book's really about. It's about how do men and and people put themselves in other people's shoes to have empathy and compassion for their growth of our own selves, you know, to be able to support women when they're going through what they're going through or support Black Lives Matter or support, you know, the troops to support all the things that really matter in this world. And as an athlete, why do we always feel like we don't have a voice and we're not a part of that society when at the end of the day we're just human beings? So we have to be able to stay connected to the things that are us, you know. So for me, that's what the book is about. It's a lot of things that make a lot of people uncomfortable, but mostly I thought it was a catchy title, and, and it did it, and it did its job. Michael, what's what's the importance of as men? And you and I have talked about this a lot, and I, I I've always been impressed with your answer to this, and I I think it's it says a lot about you. But what's the importance as men uh, to be vulnerable? And, and taking a step further as a, as a professional athlete for you and CJ to be vulnerable. I think it's the key thing to grow for uh, men because a lot of times, men we do all these different trauma. Um, and, and I heard this guy say something the other day. He was like, hurt people, hurt people. And that's true. It's like because we're not able to be vulnerable, we end up hurting the people around us. And for me, it's about putting ourselves in a situation to where we allow ourselves to grow and have those emotions because emotions are real things. You know, they, they talk to our body and when we're trying to fight them, it becomes unnatural. And for us, for me, it's about how do I become vulnerable to be able to have that growth and put myself in my wife's shoes or my daughter's shoes and be able to actually be a, a, a true 
man to show them that it's okay for a man to cry. It's okay for a man to be a, uh, you know, a, you know, a husband who cares, you know, because in this world, it always seems like you have to make a decision. And and the generation that I grew up in, it's like you were never told what it was to be a man or all these different things that you had to be a man, but none of them ever included, you know, you know, vulnerability. And so for me to promote that for young men, especially young athletes, because they, you know, they suppress all the things that they feel that they end up hurting themselves. And that's where you get the drug abuse and all these different things, because it, a lot of people don't know how to talk about the issues that they're having. I think you had a great point on the hurt people hurt people. I think that's that's excellent. And, you know, growing up as a as an athlete, having played sports, we were always taught to to be tough, especially in African-American households. You, you never really want to show fear. So I think that's that's awesome that you, you talked about. You know the fact that it's okay to to be emotional. It's okay to have feelings. It's okay to be sad about things. And I think one of the things we're starting to see now with athletes in America is that they're speaking up about not only injustices in America, but they're speaking up about their feelings. Some people are going through depression, anxiety, different types of uh, behaviors associated with you know having the stresses of being a professional athlete and having to deal with so much. So my my question to you is. From an emotional standpoint, you know, you went undrafted. You've gone from beyond unknown and winning the Super Bowl, playing in a, a huge market uh, with, with great fan support. What type of emotions have you gone through personally? And I, I usually ask every guest I have on the show uh, what they think about the importance of meditation and if they, uh, and if they have someone to, to talk to outside of the sports world, like a therapist or something like that. Um, of course you got the medication. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, uh, no, doc, there's a, you know, there's a sports guy who comes out, Dr. Mike. He was always a doctor who would talk to people about, you know, connecting with ourselves. I think a lot of times in sports, you create an identity that you are, is this, I'm this person at work and I'm this person at home. And then you start to tear away from who you really are. So, you no, know, of course, meditating and, and reading and always staying connected to the things that truly make me happy. And that's the thing that I try to focus on all the time is not to get so caught up because at the end of the day, like, we start to believe that our sport is uh, is real, but it's just really just a sport. It's a game. So we can't let it control our life to where we forget that we still got to be alive and we still got to live. And so those are the things that I try to focus on. Michael, when you when you raise your daughters and you talk to them about growing up and trying to do things the right way, what, what's the biggest message you have for them? And um, you know how 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 challenging is it as a father um, to to do that, especially considering the fact that um, you you know the, the political climate that we're raising our kids in right now. Man, I think it's really hard though, because they our kids are growing up in such a fast world where everything's not about such about ourselves and like we being becoming desensitized to things that we should all be worried about. And I think you know that's what you have to you have to fight against that. You know, so for me, it's about reminding my kids about you know empathy and having compassion for other people, and also you know giving to their society in some type of capacity, whether it's through. Uh, after-school programs or just creating their own way to give back to society. So just trying to give them a, a idea of what it is to be a really a true human that, you know, when you see something wrong as a human being, it's your job to save other human beings and to speak up about different things. So for me, that's what I try to focus on is teaching my daughters about empathy and walking them through the process of their own selves and who they should be within them and within their own identities. I think one of the things we, we obviously have to talk about is the national anthem. I think, you know, based on what we've seen the last year and a half, two years on, you know, the, when the protests started, uh, what the protests were originally for, what the media made it seem like it was about, what the, what the owners, some of the owners made it seem like it was about, to now. I think the message has been sent. I think people are more aware of, you know, the injustices that are going on in the world and you were recently asked uh, what you thought about the national anthem and if you were uh, offended by some of the rulings or obviously obligations now put in place for certain teams in the NFL. And I think you, you hit it right on the head. You said that you think the message has been received, people are more aware of it, and that now it's more about doing things in the community. Do you still feel that way? And why do you think that most of the media twisted the narrative on the national anthem when in reality it was never about the anthem? They just used that as a time to protest, and Cap was actually encouraged to do that by a member 
of the actual army or air force, I can't remember what it was, encouraged Cap to send a message that way, and then people perceived it as something else. Man, you know, I just think at the time it's like everybody's focusing on um, everybody's focusing on the wrong thing. You know, for me, it's about like focusing back on the work, the problems that are at hand, and and I think when you're protesting and you're fighting against something, people are thinking that you're fighting against the national anthem. I mean, that's, like you said, that's not really what we're fighting against. Really fighting against, really fighting for equality. We're fighting against injustice. We're not fighting, oh, is it the national anthem? Because at the end of the day, you know, we, the national anthem is, a, is, is a, it was our way to show, it was our way to show that we were in unity. And I think that's what they're, people are fighting against, you know, like, oh, they're showing this and they're doing that. But at the end of the day, it's just about, changing the lives of the people in our communities and focusing on that. I think that's really what I try to lean towards. And obviously, you know, the most, one of the most important things is getting Kaepernick back in the league, but we see how that's all played out and we all know what that's really all about. And so, like I said, it's just really about, you know, finding a way to get back to our communities and fighting against police brutality, fighting against, you know, sexual assault, just all these different things that are happening to human and, and recognizing that black lives do matter. And we have to keep focusing on things because every day we wake up and we watch TV, we realize that we're being dehumanized for the color of our skin. And so we just want to bring back the human side to who we really are. What prompted Colin Kaepernick to kneel in the first place was a concern that that certain African-American players had regarding civil rights, uh, social inequality, police brutality, treatment of African-Americans in, in America. And in, I think in that same context, in 1965, Martin Luther King, who's the most significant figure in the history of American civil rights, he took a knee in Selma, Alabama to protest. And th that shows you the solidarity. And I think if you, if you take it a step further, to CJ's point, it was, it was a 97-year-old World War II vet who took a knee in solidarity at the National Anthem last year. And as the NFL prepares to open a season on the heels of last year's controversy, it is really unfortunate that the NFL owners have reached a decision that, in your view, Michael, is in serious conflict of what our democracy was ultimately founded on, the freedom of speech. I think... I think so. I think you feel like you don't have a voice, but your voice could never really be silenced because it's your voice, it's your mouth, it's your words, it's your beliefs, it's your morals. So at the end of the day, you can't really be scared of what they're going to say or try to isolate you because of what you believe in. Because at the end of the day, you're fighting for what's right. And usually for what's fighting for what's right is not really what people want to hear. So at the end of the day, it's your voice. So you got to keep your voice and keep speaking your truth because at the end of the day, all you ever have is your words and your beliefs. Everything else can be taken away. I think you hit it right on the head. And, and what many people don't realize is that Kaepernick was raised by a white family. Yeah. You know, I think he ended up being adopted by a white family. He was brought in and, and raised by a white family. And no one ever speaks on that. Everyone assumes that, you know, he's against this, he's against that, he's a rebel, he grew the afro out. So I just wanted to put that on record that it's, it's interesting how, you know, a narrative can be twisted uh, to, to depict the person in a certain way when in reality they're just trying to help, you know, a lot of people. Uh, looking at some of the things that have happened in the NFL lately, obviously there's a rise in, in, in CTE and discoveries. There's, there's obviously a lot of movement happening in the NFL. More guaranteed contracts are coming. What do you think... Where do you think the NFL is at right now? What, what is the state of the NFL? And then we'll have to talk about the Eagles uh, going forward. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think, I think brain injuries are something that's super traumatic. And I think they're just coming to the forefront for fans to understand and they're starting to connect to it. I really don't, I really think the issue will, is really with society. Does society see the NFL players as human? Do they connect with the injuries or do they just see them as a fantasy football league? And I think you have to have a balance of both to be able to recognize at the end of the day these are people and NFL has to recognize that these are people too. So I think we just have to continuously speak on what we believe in so we can have a uh, a true voice. And I think I don't know where the NFL, they're trying to do better things with the helmet and do better things with all these different things. But I think there's a place where we have to start talking about how do we help the brain with different things? Is it marijuana? Is it CBD? Is it all these different things that can improve the cognitive thinking. And I think we have to be able to start really 
tackling the issue, and I, I don't know if we're really ready for that. If they're really ready for, it. I know the players are. Do you think, Michael, if you if you had a if you had a son, do you think? And CJ, this is for you too. Do you think you'd feel comfortable uh, encouraging him to to play football? I'll be nervous because it's such a big thing to really think about your brain. I think a lot of times, you know, the word concussion has really softened the blow to what was really happening. It's a brain, you know, trauma to the brain, and I think it'd be hard for you to to really tell your son about all these things. But at the end of the day, you want to be able to make his choice and not, you know, I would really want to shield my kid from playing, uh, playing in the NFL because it's it's so hard to play in the NBA because the contracts are guaranteed. You know, Alan Crabb is Alan Crabby, is that his name? Like $75 million, like... So I don't know. <laughs> Shout out to my guy AC Alan Crab getting that bread, but <laughs> that's your former I, teammate CJ. Yeah, yeah, that's my guy. So I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Me and my girl had the discussion. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow them to, you know, choose what sports they want to play. I'm gonna steer them away from certain sports. I don't, I don't feel like uh, football is the answer for my children personally. I don't really want them out there. I don't, I don't. I love the sport. I love to watch it. I played it growing up. But in terms of playing it at a professional level, I think there's a lot of issues with the sport in terms of how kids are being taught to tackle now. And then once you get to the highest level, the, the target area where you're actually allowed to hit players at is changing. And, and obviously you play, so you know what it's like to, to not be able to hit the quarterback the way you want to. And then when a the guy's going across the middle for the DBs and safeties, you know, they have to target a certain area. And I just I don't really like where the game's going from that sense. And I feel like I don't necessarily even want my kids to play basketball. I just want them to be able to do whatever makes them happy. I feel, I feel like you put in the work so they can have those choices to where they can go to college and not have to worry about getting a scholarship because their daddy put in so much work, they can be able to afford college. And I think because we're in a different place, uh, it's kind of it's kind of um, different for, for when you come from money, when you come from a certain amount of wealth, to when you're playing for survival, you know? Right, and that's that's kind of how we grew up. I mean, I can speak on my behalf. Like, it was get, get as good as possible in this sport because my mom and dad can't afford college, and they already told me they're not paying for it. So, either either you're either going to get really good grades, or you're going to be nice and hoop, or whatever the case may be, or you're going to be good in both because we can't pay for it. So, I don't ever want my kids to have to play out of out of need. I want it to be one. If you want to play, go ahead. But you don't have to do anything. You have to go to you have to go to school, get good grades, and treat people the right way. The re- the rest of what you do is totally up to you. So let me ask you a question. Since you asked me all these questions, what's up with you and KD, man? Oh, there it is. There it is, <laughs> Michael. Michael, I've never. I was waiting. I've never been so proud to call you a friend. I think it's funny, man. KD's my guy. KD's been my guy for a long time. I went to his skills academy, so I have a a high level of respect for him as a person. Like, let's put basketball aside. Like, I respect what he does for the community. He gives back. I think he's he's built like a $17, $18 million facility right now in uh, in PG County where he grew up at, you know, to to basically put kids in a better position to succeed. So I love Katie as a person. He came on the podcast, looked out for me, showed me love. People don't understand that when you have a relationship with friends, you make jokes all the time. We, we talk about each other in private, and I tweeted some things that I always – I always hint at in in private. Like I talk about how he should have never, you know, never should have went to the Warriors. I call him soft. We joke about stuff to each other. I think the media blew it out of proportion, and we ran with it. We thought it was a good opportunity to have some fun to the public eye. And uh, there's no there's no beef, man. That's my guy. We're gonna go to we're gonna go to dinner when he comes to New York. Uh, I owe him one more bottle of wine because I said I'd get him three bottles of wine, and that's the homie. There's no, there's no beef. He's a good dude. He was just when he threw that snakes in the grass at the end. I thought that was hilarious. That was excellent, and that really, that really got the media going. And then I chimed in, and uh, it was great. It was great for the podcast. Uh, it's not a fifty-six point Mayweather thing. <laughs> oh no, man. Hey, you know, you know, you know, basketball players don't really fight anymore anyway. The fines are too expensive. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you've seen what happened with, with with Draymond and Tristan. We don't know what really happened behind the scenes. I'm gonna have to ask. I'm gonna have to text Draymond and ask him about this because the rumors are swirling about a two piece and a three piece McNugget with some biscuits on the side. But nah, Katie's Katie's my guy, man. We don't we ain't no ain't no beef, man. That's the homie. But I thought it was hilarious that people thought we were actually mad at each CJ, other. CJ, you <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. CJ, you should know by the way that that. Uh, our, our guest here, Michael, is a big fan of your game. We we were actually watching uh, uh, Blazers Pelicans together uh, on a, on a 
on a trip recently and we were watching you and we were talking about like CJ's killing, but what's going on? And I think it all comes full circle now that you guys were playing like an eight seed. I know what I think. I think the biggest problem that ever happened to Portland was when DeMarcus, or LaMarcus Aldridge left. We, we do miss the big homie. Uh, that was, that was a, a pivotal part of our franchise, pivotal moment in our franchise, and a, a, lot of, a lot of things happen with that. You need that big man because you, and literally, y'all outside players, y'all shoot so much, it's like y'all need to get the ball more in y'all hands. And it's like, if you don't have that third guy, you really can't just win a championship. You need a third guy. Because some games you're going to be off, you know, you're going to need a third guy. I think Nurk has the potential to be that, to be that third guy. And I think he showed flashes of it last season. And, and going forward, it's going to be pivotal, you know, based on the, the production, not only of us as individuals and empowering our teammates, but uh, being able to, to have that consistent guy who's able to, you know, dominate a game and give us breaks is, is going to be crucial. And we didn't even talk, we, we didn't talk about your move to Philadelphia. So a lot of there's a lot of things going on in the NBA with guys getting traded and not being told about the trade in advance. Were you made aware that you were going to be traded to the Eagles is the first thing. And the second thing is I've never won a Super Bowl before, so I don't know what it feels like. I was I understand the business, so I wasn't really hurt. But I said, you know, at the end of the day, they did what was best for their organization. They didn't do what was best for me. Yeah. But that's how they. I mean, that's how the teams do, though. They're going to do what's best for their organization. They're not going to try to check in with you and be like, oh, this is what we're doing, you know? Right. You just find out the, the same way everyone else finds yeah, out. Yeah, you, you find out a couple of hours. You find out like a day or before, two days before, because you have like a meeting with the other team and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. I had to ask that. And secondly, you're in Philly now. What, if, you were, if you were traded, like, if you were traded, would you be like, would you be like, would you be like, mad if they didn't tell you and just found that on TV? I think it's understanding the business. I think a lot of guys take things personally and, and feel entitled, feel like they're owed something. And I think that, you know, in, in our business with, the, with this day and age, all you're owed is your contract, whatever you agree to. That's all you're owed, whatever the terms are of your deal. They don't have to be nice to you. They don't have to do you any favors. They don't have to help you move your stuff. It's a business. So I understand that the organization is always going to do what's best for them. And as a player, I'm always going to do what's best for me. So I, I understand completely on, on how it works. And you never want to get traded. You never want to go through that. But at the same time, you understand that anything is possible in this business, as we've seen. Um, if, if, if something's going to change the bottom line or something's going to move the needle a little bit more or something is more enticing, uh, a team is inclined to, to take a look at it. So you got to respect it. And I'm not a guy, I'm not a guy who holds grudges. I, I got it out the mud. I don't hold so, grudges either. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, but I do feel like I do feel like with Kawhi, and Spurs has always been my team. Like, let's just get that straight. Like, in my house, we have two Spurs cups, and they both belong to me. I drink water out of one of them, and I drink tea out the <laughs> other one. And those are my cups. So I've always... In my house, I got Kawhi Leonard jersey, Tim Duncan jersey, Tony Parker jersey, and the Admiral jersey. So I have, I'm a Spurs fan. I go this. So when Kawhi left, I was kind of hurt. I was, I was, I was hurt. So I dare times as a fan, I feel like, and you as a fan, you when I'm watching basketball, I'm like, damn Kawhi, why? Like, like the Raptors, like the Raptors, like I love Demarcus DeRozan, but like. In the clutch time, he, he kind of disappears. And I'm like, why would you leave, Kawhi? So I, there's times as a fan that I got to be like, well, I'm in that same position where I got to, like, detach myself and understand, like, oh, well, he's doing what's best for his family. Right. And, yeah, that was a that was an interesting situation where him and Kawhi, uh, the Kawhi and the organization had a falling out. There was a disagreement on the medical stuff. And I think there were, it was beyond repair. They couldn't repair it. Uh, a supermax deal wouldn't have solved it, so you know there was really some serious issues going on there. So it's tough. It's it's a it's a slippery slope, and I know what you I know what you mean by being a fan. I'm a fan of the Browns, so you can imagine how emotional I am on Sundays because it's tough. We're happy. We're we're happy about the possibility of winning five games, and that that kind of tells you where we're at <laughs> as a franchise. Like like the Vegas the Vegas odds are five and a half, and we're excited. Like I'm going to the opener. I'm flying to Cleveland. I'm going to the Cleveland. Uh, 
Pittsburgh game. Oh, Pittsburgh week one. And this is how oh. bad it is as a Browns fan. You have to customize your jersey because you never know who's going to be on the team the following year. So I I have a McCullum <laughs> three jersey, and I'm going to get, oh, like, man. I'll probably get a Juice. I'll get a Jarvis Landry jersey. <laughs> I'll get a Josh Gordon jersey. But you never really know what's going to happen with our franchise. So it's it's tough, man. But as a as a player, I try not to get become too involved because I know I know the guys aren't losing on purpose. Yeah, not do it on purpose. That's for sure. But damn Kawhi, damn Kawhi, why though? Raptors though, like, come on, man. I'm, he should, he should, he should have just. I don't know, man. I wouldn't even go to the Lakers. He ain't have no choice. Yeah, but you know what? The fact that a, a super max deal that only the Spurs could offer him, the fact that that wasn't going to do it, that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? That that's how bad it was. Right, and I think the Spurs didn't want to offer it to him, knowing that he didn't want to stay there. But sometimes I feel like the NBA players, right. no offense, right. they get a lot more like power when it comes to injury. Like in the NFL, you can't miss no game for no spring knee. Tell us more about this. What do you mean you can't miss no game for no spring knee? Tell us more. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the NBA. Yeah. In the NBA, you can miss games for all kinds of stuff. I'll be seeing stuff like grade one hamstring out indefinitely. You get a grade one hamstring in NFL, your ass got to play. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's, the, that's the thing about guaranteed contracts. I've seen guys sit out from bubble guts, get gastronitis. DMP. <laughs> DMP uh, sprained pinky. DMP. And you know what the funniest is? Flu, flu-like symptoms. It means that you don't have the flu. You just feel like you have the flu. That's one of the ones that where you'd be like, oh, my goodness. So it's a... It's a slippery slope, but in, in our sport, the contacts the contracts are guaranteed. And if you have a lower extremity injury, it's harder for you to recover and play because our season's so long. For NFL players, you got you got sixteen weeks and you got a bye week and a lot of a lot of your money's not guaranteed. A lot of it is, is incentive based, which means performance and being out on the field, right? Yeah, Mike, what what would be the worst injury you played through at least it's the start of a game, like going into a game where you you were in pa- significant pain, but you you went to play. Man, I think of me like my toe. Like I played with a toe on rotator cuff before. It's like a lot of different things I see people play with. Like people had to get like shots in the knee. Like for seven years, I had to get like a um, a needle stuck in my toe to numb it, so it wouldn't be in so much pain. So, I mean, I just feel like no offense. I feel like it's NBA, it's NFL players. Actually, it's rugby players, NFL players. Um, uh, women's tennis, uh, baseball, and then basketball, and then soccer. And when it comes to tough business, hockey, hockey's got to be up there. Hockey, <laughs> you put you put tennis in front of us. <laughs> oh, I forgot about hockey. But women's tennis, those girls are strong. So basketball's almost last. They always go. I can't speak on the rest of the NBA. I can only speak on myself. So yeah, y'all y'all right after basketball. Y'all right after women's tennis. That's a pretty good. Not bad. That's not bad. I mean, Serena played after she had a baby. Yeah, but but yeah. I think you got NBA players that miss for their wife having a baby. Yeah, because <laughs> three weeks is a little excessive. But you have you're supposed to be there for the birth of your child. I will put. I will put I will put what Serena did over any um, over over football players to to be able to go out on that court and play tennis after having a baby. For one, she played while she was pregnant. For two, I heard she had complications with her pregnancy, and just to be able to give birth to a baby in general is a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of stress on the body. And I commend her for her efforts because women women are are some of the strongest on this earth. Strongest to be able to give birth, to be able to raise a family, and still work is unbelievable. So I, I, my hat's off to all the women in the world because there's nothing like having to give birth to a baby. And I, there's a reason why men aren't able to do it because there'll be a lot less people on earth because we selfish. Well, Serena's up there, but I was talking about as a whole group. Right. Like all the, because Serena, I'm averaging everybody in there. But if I average all the NBA players, I mean, I mean, some people miss uh, the whole season for meniscus. I've seen guys have meniscus surgery and come back the following week. That's crazy. You see, y'all got y'all have to y'all have to take more time off and, and re- really recover from y'all injuries, man. Y'all got we got to figure out a way to get y'all more guaranteed money. You talked about Allen Crab. Y'all got subpar. Y'all got subpar quarterbacks getting fully guaranteed deals. Oh, don't even get Mike started on Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. What's up with these quarterbacks getting so much guaranteed money? Oh, don't get me started on any quarterback. Man. And why can't y'all touch them? Quarterback's the only position where you can be mediocre. <laughs> you can be mediocre and not have any like. Stats or anything where they just pay guys like guys like Mike Glennon got two years, thirty million before he never even like he's not even a good he like wasn't even a good quarterback. So it is those times as an athlete where you are like what is going on? But that's just part of the game, I guess. I was gonna say you talked about 
having to get a shot in your toe for seven straight years. We didn't we didn't talk about your brother yet. Your brother, he could come off the bench for us right now. So first of all, tell him that you know if he if he wants to step out and get some of that uh, guaranteed bread, he can still he can still do do the production stuff on the side and. That's his dream, though, man. He's been working out. He has a basketball trainer right now because he he's focusing on basketball right now. Hey, tell him that. Hey, keep working on the jumper. Get that conditioning up, and then come to the league and mess with us. But if you give him a, if you give him a try with Portland, he'll definitely come out there. Oh, I'll, I'll try. How tall is he? How tall is he? He's six eight. Six nine with basketball shoes on. Wait, he's six nine. Martellus is a freak. Six nine. Six, we can work with six nine. And he'll, and he'll, all he need to do is get the ball back. He just need to be like Draymond Green, like just get rebounds, block, get the ball back to you and Damien, and and then we come up. Then that's it. That's all you need. You see, I don't see. If I'm a basketball player, I play my role. I'm Steven Adams. I play my role. I'm not trying to go out there and try to get no commercials and be like and be like uh, Russell. I just want to be get my money, play my role, get my seven rebounds, bite me three shots, and give me ten points. I'm out. I see you. I like the mentality. So my question was going to be: For one, I got it. We got we got to talk to Martellus because six nine. We can work with that. But two, how long did it take you to to give up on trying to convince him to retire? And when are you thinking about hanging it up? Uh, the craziest part was that, like, at first as a brother, I, I felt like I was being wrong. I, I wrote this after with Bleacher Report, and then we kind of talked about this because at first I was like, oh, don't retire, don't do all that. Like, I was becoming a fan. And I had to detach myself and be like, this is my brother first, and I had to work on, like, being like, man, if you really want to be happy, this is going to make you happy, go do it. And so I had to take myself from being from being uh, um, a fan to just being, to from being having a fan mentality to, caring about my brother as a human. So it was I felt good when I finally was like, hey bro, man, just do whatever makes you happy. And so he's just been he's been super uh happy right now with retirement and he's making it look fun and he's just he's just super happy. So I'm just I'm happy for him to be able to be in a place where true happiness to follow his dream. I think a lot of NFL players are, you know, scared to retire because they don't have any idea of who they are when it comes to things that they love or create or don't have any hobbies so it's, it's nice to see somebody go to retirement and be fulfilled with what they love and I think my brother is a great example of that so for me I don't know it's a year to year thing you know I want to play as long as play till I feel good but I definitely want to win the Super Bowl one more time and just you know I still love the game of football so I like playing I got you and you guys won the Super Bowl last year, so the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Now you're on the roster. Do you sense a you sense a hangover within the team? Is there a Super Bowl hangover? Does that exist? Nah, everybody's hungry here, man. I mean, that that's, you could tell it's not a Super Bowl hangover because the people that they brought in, they didn't just bring in people to just fit in. They brought in players to change the dynamic of the team. And I think um, I'm excited about being a part of a, a organization that is not resting. On their lowers, they're just they ready to go out and win again by bringing in acquiring new talent to upgrade to their positions. And I think this is a, this organization is, is is all about that. Yeah, that's that's huge, by the way, because Bob Myers, the GM of the Warriors, he's talked about that and how it's important. And this is probably one of the reasons they got Cousins to go out and, and get new blood in, get new motivation. And that's been my sense in, in talking to. Uh, Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, and how important it is for them to feel like they it's not the same team in terms of like everybody has the same goal. Like they they really need, and this is why they got Michael and other and other guys. Like they need new blood in there to help them go back to back. And Michael, I just wonder for you, like when you're going into a, a new franchise after a long time with Seattle. What what is the biggest adjustment to a team that's already really good, and and how do you go about that? I think you just go in and you go and you want to make plays. I think for me, it's about coming in and not and not resting. It's about me coming in and trying to be the same player that I was in Seattle and make as many plays as I made in Seattle and become and do what I can do here. I think you know, but you know, I feel like as far as leadership, you don't want to come in and step on a leader's foot because it's like what me and Cliff was talked about one day it's kind of like it takes, it takes a while to be on the team to create a leadership role and you don't want to step on people's foot when it comes to that so for me it's not about we not go I don't want to do that I want to come in and find my role as a leader but as a player I know what my role is, is to come in and dominate on every single thing I don't care if my mama the left guard she left guard she getting that ass right over on Sunday because I want to win 
that. I like that mentality. I like it. I love that. I have to. Okay, Meek Mill. What comes to mind when you when you hear Meek Mill's name, and, and have you been able to meet him since you've been in Philly? I haven't been to meet him, but when first day when I come on my when I first seen that when I when I first touched that really on my wrist, I was gone. Like so I always think about that with Meek Mill's. Like, <laughs> first time I got Rolex, I was like, yeah, Meek Mill said it felt like this. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I haven't got a chance to meet Meek Mill's yet. But if, I'm pretty sure he'll be around practice. But it's good to see that he is like not only just. You know, a lot of people talk about something when they stuck to to get their freedom and what they're gonna do. But it feels like he's like really taking, staying true to to speak on different issues that have happened to him and how he wants to change the world. So it's very interesting to see a rapper take that kind of role because it hasn't been a rapper lately to, to do those type of things, especially one of his age. Yeah, I think he's doing an awesome job of spreading awareness on not only his situation, but there's plenty of people who've been locked up. And, and trapped into the system, man. You got kids getting sent to Rikers Island for for committing petty crimes. There's just a lot of you know different issues within society and within the prison systems that uh, needs to be addressed. Exactly. I appreciate you coming on as a guest, man. You you are awesome, dude. And I'm a you know I, I went to Lehigh, so so I've been an Eagles. I've been an undercover Eagles fan my whole life. You know I, I've been cheating on my Browns with the Eagles for years. So deep down, I wasn't. I wasn't upset. It's easy to cheat on the Browns, man. <laughs> I've been cheating on my Browns, but that's the only. So when you were when you were in Seattle, I went to two Seahawks games. Uh, Sherm looked out, so I'm gonna have to get Sherm on the pod too. But I went to a Seahawks game, and the only other game I've been to is the Eagles. So uh, I wish you wish you nothing but the best. Just come out, come out with Jordan whenever you get a chance. We go to the game. Yeah, come out, come out wearing a Mayfield, a Baker Mayfield jersey or a Nick Chubb jersey. And see how the uh, Philly faithful treats you. Hey, I, I already know what time it is with those fans. I, I, I'll come out. I'll get me a Michael Bennett jersey. <laughs> I, ain't, <laughs> I ain't coming. I ain't coming out there with my Browns jersey on. I, I'll see my. Yeah, you got. You got to come to Philly, right, man? No, I will for sure. And if you ever want to come to any games or anything like that, man, you just let me know, man. I got you. It's good. I appreciate you guys. No problem at all, Michael. You're the best. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate all our listeners tuning in faithfully every Wednesday we'll be back next week and we also will include the wine segment but first don't forget to subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to your podcast at subscribe rate like follow the show at pull up pod on Twitter Facebook Instagram follow me on Instagram at 3J McCollum on Twitter at CJ McCollum and on Snapchat at CJM313 you can follow Jordan at at Schultz underscore report on Twitter and Instagram and Jordan Schultz on Facebook and once again we appreciate Michael Bennett for coming on outstanding guy go get his book right now New York Times bestseller things that make white people uncomfortable I'm looking forward to reading it. it has a lot of great insights about what's going on in America and always remember don't forget to pull up pull up <laughs>